Well, around here, we have a saying. It's live sent. Live sent. You may be wondering sometimes, how are we doing that as a church? How are we doing with this whole live sent idea? Well, I just want to give you just a quick update. The last two weeks, the things that I've seen from where I sit on this church staff. First of all, we had some of the folks from our university ministry go out to the campus of UAB during finals week and touch over 700 students' lives with finals uh, care packages they brought over to them. We had a handful of people in our church launch a new ministry aimed at reaching the fitness community uh, in our area called Faith Rx, and they kind of had their opening event there at the Urban Purpose Challenge. We were able to have some folks at our church at Hoover Day. We were able to touch hundreds of lives with the message that Jesus transforms lives. We have a doctor in our church, Dr. Greg Champion, who's helped us to author a brand new tool that's available today in the Resource Center for reaching out to restaurant servers and another tool to reach out to first responders in our community. Another example of someone living sin. And we have had so many opportunities and so many people just in the last two weeks and hundreds of lives impacted. My favorite story this week was a link that was, got sent around to some of us on staff from a ministry called uh, First Priority. First Priority does uh, some different campus ministries, a middle school and high school campuses, and they profiled one of our own students, a, a young lady who's a student at Spain Park High School, and they talked about how she has been learning to speak Spanish, which for those of you that have had high school students doesn't seem all that revolutionary because, yeah, you take a foreign language and you get a grade, but that's not what they were profiling. They were profiling the fact that she was learning to speak Spanish specifically so she could share the gospel in Spanish to ESL students that go to her high school to befriend them and to share the gospel with them. And they did this great video about her. This is just an example. Live Sense not a slogan around here. It's what people are doing to impact this city, this community, this nation, and the world around us. And it's exciting. But even as we talk about making that difference in living sin, we have to realize that we can't make any kind of impact unless we are absolutely connected to the presence and the power of Jesus Christ in a personal relationship. We can't make a difference without him. In fact, Jesus said this in John chapter 15, verse 5. He said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me... You can't do anything. So it's with that in mind that we start off this new series today because God is using our church and the people within it to make a massive difference in this community. But we've got to double down on our relationship with Christ to make sure that's healthy so we can continue to have the impact that we pray that God will use us to make in this community. And so we are doing this series called With to help us understand how to connect and thrive in a relationship with God. It grows out of one of our measures here. So we have six questions that we use to kind of give ourselves a spiritual checkup, a diagnostic check to see how we're doing spiritually. And one of those questions is, have I met with God today? We want everybody in our church to have authentic, genuine interactions with God every single day. But while many of us have met God we may have questions about how to meet with God. As I was getting ready for this message, I thought about my own relationship with Jesus and how that started for me. I've been a Christian now for 22 years. kind of hard to believe that. I, I met Jesus at First United Methodist Church of Mount Dora, Florida. 
and they had a brand new youth director named Jeff and his wife Liz, and they were doing some pretty innovative things to reach out to the students in that community and the communities surrounding it. Things like they put up a basketball goal in the parking lot. It's a big deal for this church. They put a pool table and some ping pong tables there in the basement of the church. They renovated this other area and made it into a worship room. And they had futons and they had uh, beanbag chairs there. So you're nice and comfy when you came in for worship, right? And we'd come in there and for the worship services. And they always kicked it off with a music video. It was at this era where the height of the, I'll call it the golden era of Christian music, okay? Y'all nod your head at me if you remember some of these bands, some of these acts. There was DC Talk, down with the DC Talk. Y'all remember DC Talk? Okay, a few of you, that's right. There was Carmen and his hit single, Satan Bite the Dust. Y'all remember Carmen? There was, there was also Newsboys. And when I say Newsboys, I'm not talking about 2018 Newsboys. I'm talking about old school Newsboys in the 90s with Shine and They Don't Serve Breakfast in Hell. Those are the songs that I remember from being there in the youth ministry. I'd open up with this music videos and then we were high tech. We had an overhead projector when it came time to worship. And the overhead projector, you'd print the lyrics out on what looked like a clear piece of paper called a transparency. Google it. And you would put it out there, and you'd put it on here, and you'd be singing the song. The problem with the transparencies, though, is if you couldn't fit all the lyrics onto one transparency, they'd have to switch it out in the middle. So you'd be sitting there singing, shout to the Lord, heading for the key change, and all of a sudden the hand of doom would reach out and grab the lyrics and then slap the rest of them down there so you could finish the song. And then after that, Jeff would get up. And he was the most impactful part to me. Jeff would get up and he would talk about the cross and he would talk about Jesus. And for me as a middle school student, hearing that message, it absolutely revolutionized my view of who Jesus was. I began to understand he wasn't just a person in history. The cross was not just an event in history, but it had real impact for my life back then and still today. And so there, sitting on a beanbag chair against a support column in the basement underneath the fellowship hall of the United Methodist Church of Mount Dora, I met Jesus, and my life has never been the same. And I knew immediately that my sins were forgiven. I knew immediately that I was going to be in heaven with my Savior one day. But then someone came along and said, you just began a relationship with God. What does that mean? I mean, what does that even look like? What is a relationship with God. And as I've served in different churches and different ministries, what I've discovered is there's a lot of people still trying to figure out what does a relationship with God actually mean? You could be here today and you may have met Jesus a number of years ago, but today that looks more like an obligation or a loose association or some elusive thing that really only spiritual people get a relationship with God. Or maybe you're here and you're new to faith. You've just recently accepted Jesus, but you're still trying to figure out what it means to know him. Or maybe you're here today, and you're just considering what would it mean for me to begin a relationship with Jesus. No matter where you're at, for everybody in between, this series is for us to grab hold of our relationship with Christ, to take ownership of it, and to grow and to thrive in it, so that we might draw near to our Savior and he might use us in an incredible way in this world. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open up to Genesis chapter 1. We're going right back to the beginning. Genesis chapter 1, we're going to be in verse 26. In this passage of Scripture, here's what's going on in the lead up. God has literally formed and fashioned every facet of creation. Light, water, land, plants, animals. And now we're coming up to a pivotal moment. 
As one commentator put it, it's the final and crowning act of God's creation. It's where God creates man and woman, people, us. And I really believe that whether you're reading this passage for the first time or the hundredth, God has something he wants to say to each and every one of us here today. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, here's what the Bible says. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let us have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female, he created them. Here's the first point, we're pulling it directly out of the text. You were created on purpose, for purpose. You were created on purpose, for purpose. So we have to understand that humanity is not the result of an accident or an afterthought. It's an intentional decision that God made to create us. He literally said, I'm going to do this in our image. I'm going to do this in our likeness. We're the only thing in all creation that is anything like God himself. And what that means for all of us here today is that not a single one of us is an accident. There's no such thing as accidental people. And a pastor friend of mine used to put it like this. He said, there is such a thing as accidental parents, hello, but there's no such thing as accidental people. The same God that spoke the entire world into existence speaks our name as well. He created us on purpose, but not just on purpose, but for purpose, multiple purposes. We see two of those here in the text. The first is to enjoy a relationship with God. Notice that it says in verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now the plural there matters. When he says us and our, the plural matters to us. I have an, an Asian grandmother. She doesn't get plural. It doesn't make any sense to her whatsoever. She'll say to me sometimes, I'm going to go to the Walmarts. Like, like how many Walmarts are you going to, Grandma? She'll say to us, I'm going to eat some noodle. Just, just the one noodle? Is that, is that all? When Beth and I told her we were going to get married, she said, you two, you two are like two pea in pods. I was like, thank you. That means a lot, Grandma. <laughs> but for us, the plural means a lot. We have to ask ourselves the question, who is God talking to when he said, let us make man in our image after our likeness? We'll go back to verse 1, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Who is it speaking of there? God the Father. Then it says in verse 2, And the earth was without form, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. So you have God the Father, and then you have God the Spirit. Then elsewhere in Scripture, all throughout Scripture, we also understand that God the Son, Jesus Christ, was also present there in creation. Colossians 1.16 For by Him, speaking of Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. So when God says us and when He says our, He's speaking to Himself. God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three in one. Throughout scripture we know we have one God, but we also see him as three distinct people. It's a mystery. We don't fully get it. We call it the Trinity, but we do know this, that they were in perfect relationship with each other because God is relational. And likewise, when he creates us in his image, he makes us to be relational with the capacity actually to know him, not to be equal with him, 
but to know him. That by the virtue of us creating him in his Im- creating us in his image, he is issuing to us an invitation for us to join with him in a relationship. There's never been a person over centuries and millennia that God didn't want for them to know him. So you remember when you were in like elementary school, maybe middle school, some of you maybe in high school, and you used to be crushing on some guy or some girl, and you would take out a piece of paper and you would write them a love note, right? And you would get there and you'd take your number two pencil and you would pen your very best Shakespeare to her or to him. And then you'd finish it with three options. Do you like me? Yes, no, or maybe. Maybe. Tell me there's a chance. Yes, no, or maybe. Sometimes when we pray, we treat God like that. God, are you there? Do you want to hear from me? Do you want to be close to me? Well, the answer from God's lips to our hearts is never no. It is never maybe. It's always yes. He wants each and every one of us to enjoy a relationship with him. He created us for it. But that's not the only purpose that God created for us. It's first of all to have and enjoy a relationship with him. But secondly, to have influence. To have influence. First a relationship, then influence. It says in verse 26 again, And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. This is reiterated again in verse 28, this idea of dominion. In your Bible, it may say the word rule. What that means is that God has placed us over, allowed us to take charge, allowed us to have influence in an area of our life. For Adam and Eve, they had influence in the garden, the Garden of Eden. But for each and every one of us, we have a corner of influence that God has established for us, that he's called us to, a role to play, so that we would have influence for him. But there is, there is a specific order to this. First is relationship. And then it's influence. You cannot access the full magnitude of the influence that God has for you, that he wants to entrust to you outside of a relationship with him. First relationship, then influence and impact. Let me see if I can illustrate that for us. Over here is a really nice Gibson electric guitar. Can y'all see this? I know there's some folks in here, maybe we can get on the video there. This electric guitar. It's very nice. I mean, it looks cool, doesn't it? And it has the potential for influence. Think about all the songs that you've heard that has this guitar featured in it in some way, shape, or form. It can excite you and raise your emotions. It can comfort you when you're going through a hard time. It can get your heart beating fast. It has the opportunity, the, the potential for influence. And yet, it's just wood, strings, and some electronics. See... Sitting up here, it looks just fine, but it doesn't have any impact on its own. It doesn't have any influence on its own. But when you place it in a master's hands, then it can have access to the influence that it was created for. I want to invite Dave Dunlap to come up here. Dave is one of the guys that leads us in worship Sunday after Sunday. He's a master guitarist. He calls himself, and others have called him too. Hopefully you're not the only one that calls you this. But he calls himself the human jukebox, all right? No worries, we're not going to take requests here today. But I did ask Dave to come and to show us what this guitar can do. So Dave, whenever you're ready, man, take it away. No pressure. Oh, <laughs> 
Y'all, I just wanted to make sure we didn't leave out any musical genres today. We were to make sure they're all included in this worship service today. Thank you so much today. Great job. An instrument in the hand of its master has influence. We are instruments in the hands of our master, but we can't have the influence that we were meant for unless we place ourselves in his hands, unless we are close in a relationship with him. First relationship, then influence. Now, you may be asking yourself, okay, I was created on purpose for a purpose, I see my purposes, but what does this relationship actually look like? Well, as we continue on in this passage, we're going to see that clearly. Look at verse 27. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then watch this in verse 28. And God blessed them, and God said to them. God said to them. He spoke to them. The very first thing he does, right after he creates man and woman, Adam and Eve, he blesses them and then he speaks to them. Because we are created to hear from God. We're created to hear from God. God who created the ear walks up next to it and tests it out. Can you hear me? And then he starts speaking to them. What does he speak to them? It says, following along in verse 28, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. And you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God had some very important things he wanted to speak to them. First of all, that he wanted them to be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth with my image, he was telling them. Go out and make sure that the earth is full of my image and likeness. Secondly, he says, have dominion, have that influence, own it, take it, it's yours, I've entrusted it to you. Third, he says, I want to make sure that you understand that I have given you, and then he starts listing out all the things he's blessed them with, animals and plants, fruits, this beautiful creation that he has given to them. In other words, God is saying, look at this amazing place I've given you. I'm setting up a beautiful backdrop, a beautiful setting in which you can get to know me. God is setting up circumstances and situations in their life so that they can hear the important things that he wants to say to them. So they can hear and grow in a relationship with him. When I was thinking about that this week, when I saw that, it made me think about my first date with this girl named Beth. This girl named Beth, I liked her. We had been friends for a long time, but I was ready to get on up out of that friend zone, if you know what I mean. And so I asked her, will you go to the spring formal with me? At our college, we had a, a spring formal. And she said, um, no. And at that very moment, there was the sound of shattering deep within my soul. And she must have heard it as well, because she said, no, 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 it's not that I don't want to go with you. She said, I'm going to be out of town, and I won't be here. So well, would you be interested in going on a date with me when you get back? And she said, yes. And I was like, great, wear the most beautiful dress you have, and I'll pick you up, and it's going to be awesome. So the night finally came, and I came to her room, and I picked her up, and her roommates answered the door, and they were all giggly because girls are super weird. And then they brought her up to me, and she was wearing this beautiful red dress that I will never, ever forget. And I said, you look 
amazing. We're going to have a really, really great time tonight. I've got so many things planned for us here. Put on this blindfold. And she looked at me like I was crazy. Let me give a quick time out to my Christian brothers and sisters that are still single. Blindfolds on a first date, I don't recommend it. Apparently, it's creepy. So, she got in the car, was a good sport about it. She put on the blindfold. We drove around for about 15 minutes, and then we stopped. I said, okay, you can take off the blindfold. We were only two blocks away from her dorm room. She's like, why did you bring me here? I said, well, I wanted to throw you off a little bit, uh, but I do have a surprise for you. You're going to love it. She's like, oh, that's great. You can take me home. I was like, no, it's going to be fine. I promise. And so we got uh, out of the car. We walked up to the freshman girls dorm, Baxter Hall, and we went inside and she went to press the elevator button. And I said, no, 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 we got to take the stairs. And she said, well, how many flights of stairs are we going up? I said, like, uh, give or take seven. And she said, okay, that's great. You can take me home. And I said, no, 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 it's going to be great. I promise. And so we got on the stairwell and we went up seven flights of stairs. And we got up there, she opened up the roof access, and there on the roof of the dormitory there, I had asked the spring formal committee if I could have the decorations, and I set them out on the rooftop there for us to have our own spring formal, and the music is playing, and the dinner was laid out there for us. I know, it was way overboard for first date, way overboard for first date. But I wanted to set it up, because I had some really important things that I wanted to say to her. I wanted to set it up because I wanted her to know my heart before, and I wanted her to have a relationship with me so very badly. And so I set it up to set the tone so that we could begin the relationship. And it must have worked because this September will be 12 years that we've been married. So what I want us all to understand is from that very first moment, that's also God's heart toward us. That he sets up situations, circumstances, just like he did for Adam and Eve in the garden. He does that for each and every one of us because he wants to speak to us. He wants to tell us things about himself. And he is orchestrating things to grab our attention. The question is, are we listening when he starts speaking? When his word speaks, when his spirit speaks to us, are we listening? Because we're created to hear from God. And next week, don't miss the message. We're going to talk about walking with God in His Word and specifically more about how we hear from Him through the text of Scripture here for us in 2018. So we're created on purpose for a purpose. We're created to hear from God. But you may be wondering, how closely does God want me to know Him? Like how close is this relationship supposed to be? Well, I want you to flip over to Genesis chapter 3 verse 8. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, as I was thinking about this series, this verse just jumped off the page at me, and it really spoke to my heart, and hopefully you'll see exactly what God wants us to see from this today. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8 says this, and they, they being Adam and Eve, the man and the woman, they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. The Bible does not say they saw him walking it says they heard the sound which made me ask the question how on earth did they know the sound of the footprints of God they knew the sound of it because they had walked with him so many times before intimately walking side by side with him day after day they heard and knew that is the sound of my God's footsteps. We are created to walk with God like that. 
created to walk with him, to know him that intimately, to have complete access to his presence, to be totally familiar with him. It's why there's verses all across the New Testament, like 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, it says we're supposed to pray without ceasing. We're supposed to moment by moment, day by day, be able to walk out our lives with him. They walked with him, and they knew him intimately. But some of you who know your Bible may be saying, but I know Genesis chapter 3, Steve. Genesis chapter 3 is where they blew it. It's where they sinned. It's where they severed their relationship with God. And you'd be right. Because the rest of Genesis 3.8 says not only did they hear the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, but it says the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. They had lived in the presence of God, and now they're running in shame. What happened? Well, God had given them one rule. Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But they did. And when they did that, they disobeyed God. And disobeying God is the very definition of sin. And at that moment when they sinned, in that instant, brokenness and pain and heartbreak and everything that we consider to be wrong with this world came flooding into what should have been God's perfect creation. They blew it. They walked away from God. They sinned and they severed. And then the Bible says they hid themselves. Do you remember when you were a kid and you used to play hide and seek? Do you remember when you had one person that was it and you were supposed to run off and hide somewhere? And the one person that was it had to go over here and they had to count. And usually you had the obnoxious kid that tried to count from one to ten as if it was one word. One to three, four, seven, nine, ten, right? And then there was always be the other obnoxious kid that says, you can't do that. You've got to count with Mississippi. Because we all know the people in Mississippi count really good. That's a joke. And then they go, one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi, four. And they go all the way to ten Mississippi. And then you would try and go find that person. And meanwhile, if you were the one of the ones that were hiding, you would search out. And maybe you had a favorite hiding place. And you would go and you would get down small. And you get down little. And you get underneath something or put something in front of you. And you get to a deep, dark place. A place that you're absolutely sure that no one would ever find you. And that's where you would go to hide. And that was the way to win hide-and-seek when you were a kid. But it's a terrible way to live out our relationship with God. We're not meant to hide. We're not meant to run from Him. We're not meant to put up barriers in between us and Him. We're not meant for hiding. And yet this is exactly what Adam and Eve were doing. And maybe you find yourself here today in that same situation. Say, I'm struggling today. I've met God, but I am struggling. I'm distant from Him. Sin has come to life. Shame has come to life. Or I've just grown complacent or numb. Or I've just been too busy. And I'm distant. And I kind of feel like I'm hiding right now. But if that's you, there is good news in this passage for all of us. Because we understand in verse 8, as they go to hide, God steps foot in the garden and still walks toward them. Not only does he walk toward them, but in verse 9, he actually calls out to them. But the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? And it's not because he doesn't know. He's God. He knows exactly where they are. He's calling out to them because he wants them to come back to him. And when they finally turned around, when they finally came, was there judgment? Yes. Was there consequences? Yes. 
But was there redemption? Hallelujah, praise God. Yes, there was redemption for them and for us still today. Because even when we walk away from God, God is still willing to walk toward us. I love the, the lyrics from the psalm we sang earlier in Reckless Love. There's no shadow you won't light up. No mountain you won't climb up coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down. No lie you won't tear down coming after me. So where do you find yourself today? Are you hiding behind shame, behind busyness, behind hurt, behind fill in the blank? Are you hiding? And would you be willing to say, I'm not content I am not content to be distant from my God. I'm ready to be found. I'm ready to come out of hiding. I'm ready to be known fully by God and to know Him fully as well. This whole series is going to be about how to know God and His Word, how to know Jesus, how to know and walk with the Spirit. But it all starts with a decision that we all have to make to say, yes, I'm willing today to walk with God and to come out of hiding. So let me address, first of all, the long-term Christian in this room. I'm one of those, not long-term, as some of you, longer than some others of you. But after 22 years, I can tell you there have been plenty of times when I've found myself hiding. Plenty of times where I've been struggling. Plenty of times when I needed to turn around and realize that God was right there with arms wide open, ready to welcome me back. And I would say to every single person in this room, if you find yourself hiding today, it's time to come to the light. It's time to come back to a heavenly father that will never leave you nor forsake you no matter what. It's time to come and to say, yes, I want a relationship with God that's intimate. I want to walk with God. And over the next few weeks, we'll talk to you about how to do that. But it starts with your decision here today to say, yes, I'm ready. I want to do that. But for another person in this room today, another group of people, perhaps, you've never begun a relationship with Jesus. It's quite possible that you've been considering it for some time, but you've never pulled the trigger. You've never actually said, yeah, I want to know God. You may say, I don't even know what to do. That's the beauty of it. You don't have to do anything. Jesus has already done everything that is required for you to know him. Sin separates us from God. We know that we saw that in this passage but the beauty is that even though sin separates from God and the penalty for sin is death because of God's great love for each and every one of us, he came and died our death in our place. When Jesus went to the cross, he said, I'll take your death for you. I'll take your penalty for you. So he went to the cross and he was crucified for us. They died, they put him in the grave. Three days later, he got up and he conquered sin and he conquered death so that you could begin a relationship with him. And that if you already know him, so that you could come back and you could know him once more in close, intimate fellowship. There is no barrier that his cross cannot conquer. He's ready for you. I want to invite everybody to bow your heads and to close your eyes in this moment. If you're the Christian in this room that says, I need to come out of hiding, right now is a really good time to begin that conversation with God. Right now... In this moment, begin praying and begin asking God to bring you near. The Bible promises us this, that when we draw near to God, He will draw near to us. But if you're here today, 
and you don't know Jesus, you've never begun in that relationship with him, then today you can start that. And I can help lead you in that. I want to be careful here to say it's, it's not just repeating or thinking about the, guy, the things that the guy on the stage says. It's genuinely expressing your faith to God. It's coming to God and confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead. So you come to God today and say, I'm ready. And express your faith to him in the following way. And you can use these words. God, I know that you made me for a relationship with you. But I've disobeyed you and I've sinned. But I believe that you paid the penalty for that sin on the cross. I believe that you rose from the grave and you conquered my sin. And so right now, as best I know how, I surrender my life to you and I ask for your forgiveness. Help me to know you and to grow in this life-changing relationship with you. If that's you and you prayed that prayer right now, I want to let you know it's one of the best decisions you'll ever make in life. And we want to encourage you to take just a moment and to indicate that on that tear-off that I said earlier, that I talked about earlier. Just check on there. Today I made the decision to follow Jesus. Others of you, you're saying, yes, I'm ready to get back into a closer walk with God, but I need some help. Indicate it there today. Write a prayer request in that tear-off there. We'll be overjoyed to pray with you or to contact you this week and help you to know how to draw near to Him. We're at the conclusion of the service. Some of the staff and myself will be up here at the front. Come to the front. We'd love to talk with you and help you know how to take next steps in that relationship with Jesus. For all of us today, I want to pray a final blessing and ask that God would take our whole congregation in these coming weeks closer to Him so that we might all walk with God. But Father, we know from Your Word, You made us for Yourself. Not to be far off, but to be near. And so God, we ask right now that you would do a work in all of our lives to draw us near, Lord. God, we confess sin that separates from you. We confess shame. We confess all the things that we've hid behind. And God, we ask that you would welcome us with arms wide open as we know you will and help us to know you more. We love you, Jesus, and we pray these things in your mighty name. Amen.